0: Back to the Ten Blocks podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Nicole Gelinas. She's been on the show a number of times. She's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a contributing editor of City Journal, and a consummate expert on all things New York. Uh, today, we're going to discuss her brilliant article in the new print issue of the magazine. It's called "Inflation and the City," and we'll talk a bit about the state of, of New York generally. Um, or the state of New York City. Nicole, um, as always, thanks very much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Brian. Happy to come on.
0: Um, New York thinks of itself, I think it's fair to say, as a world unto its own. But the city's not immune to broader trends, including inflation, which is obviously much in the news these days. Everything from food to rent prices has become more and more expensive in recent months in some cases in the city, at a faster rate than the national average. Uh, and as you note in this story, inflation will affect New York in some very specific uh, and you know potentially damaging ways. So the city's highly exposed to trouble in the financial sector. Inflation um, has historically not been a good thing for Wall Street. So, So what would a sustained spike in inflation do to that part of of the city's economy and what would be the, the consequences for the city?
1: Yeah, you're right that the city faces several impacts from high inflation. You know, inflation is running eight and a half percent compared to last year, and it has been above eight percent for, at least three months running now, so clearly a uh, sustained trend of higher inflation, something that we haven't seen in 40 years. So anyone who is a uh, young or even a middle-aged adult has not lived in a world with high inflation. Uh, uh, for the per- last 40 years, we've been fortunate enough to have inflation that's been around 2% a year, uh, virtually unnoticeable to, to most people. So yes, the first impact would be on the economy. That if you look at the 40 years where the Federal Reserve maintained low, stable inflation, these were 40 years that were generally good for financial markets and for Wall Street firms. You know, beginning in the 1980s, of course, we've had a few recessions, a couple of crises along the way over the past 40 years, but for the most part, Wall Street has done very well. And because Wall Street has done well, this sector of the economy is responsible for 8%. Of New York City taxes, and so directly, and more of a share of taxes and indirect taxes in terms of property values, consumer spending, and so forth. So, this has a big impact on the city budget. High inflation in the 1970s, by contrast, that was not a good decade for Wall Street. Uh, Stock markets actually uh, lost money during that decade. And in general, the Wall Street business of lending, borrowing, uh, investments. You want a stable price environment to do those things. It's much harder to approve a loan to a person or a business if you have no idea if the dollars that people will repay those loans in Uh, are going to be worth less in a few years. So with inflation comes uh, higher interest rates, even if the Fed doesn't raise interest rates adequately to damp down inflation, financial firms will usually charge higher interest rates because they need to do that to make up for the inflation uh, risk. So yes, if we continue to see High inflation, whether it's eight and a half percent, hopefully not double-digit inflation, but anything much higher than around two percent creates instability for Wall Street, and we already saw that with the 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 most recent quarterly profits, where financial firms uh, reported a significant uh, reversal of the high profits that they've seen over the past few years.
0: Yeah, as prices go up too and this would be another effect on the city, workers are going to ask their employers for raises to keep up with those higher prices. Uh, And this is obviously going to be true for public sector workers as well. Yet the city's government workers are already earning pretty high salaries, I think comparatively, and indexing their income to inflation. Uh, Not only, I think, is going to uh, worsen price rises, but, but it's going to strain city finances, I imagine. So, so how might that scenario play out?
1: Yeah, that would be one of the other impacts of inflation on the city beyond the impact on the city's economy, the impact on the city budget. So yes, if you look back once again to the turmoil of the 1970s, uh, many of the public sector strikes that we saw during the Lindsay administration, uh, further public sector labor unrest in the Koch administration, these were partly due to the impact of inflation, uh, particularly during Koch. Uh, the city was trying to hold the line on labor increases, and the workforce uh, did not like that. If you look at the uh, transit strike in April of 1980, for example, the transit uh, workers were asking for more than a 20% raise over a two-year period, largely because inflation was running 20% over a two-year period. And so the MTA uh, balked at this. The transit uh, workers went out on strike for more than a week, and the uh, MTA basically ended up giving them most of of what they wanted, which then had a knock-on effect on city uh, wages that the Koch administration. Hadn't want to see, uh, or hadn't want to see. So, if we saw that again this time around, if you look at a one percent raise, the state controller estimates costs the city about half a billion dollars. We are most likely going to see the city's workforce asking for eight percent raises over one year period, fifteen percent raises over a two year period, period. So, the compound effect of that a couple years into the future would be well above a uh, $10 billion hit to the city's budget, uh, something that uh, the Adams administration certainly uh, does not have the resources to to pay out these uh, major, major wage increases, something along the likes of which we haven't seen in, in decades. And so I think we should be at least realistic about the possibility of labor unrest as the two sides uh uh demands uh start to become clearer towards the end of the year as it happens pretty much all of the city's labor agreements are either expired or about to expire so do we see the Adams administration hold the line on raises and do we see the workforce uh uh come out in in protest against that and hopefully not go on strike uh, against that or does the Adams administration End up capitulating and, and give out raises that the city really can't afford.
0: It's a it's a very important question. Uh, a third area you explore in this essay, uh, where inflation is is going to complicate life for the city, is is a question of debt. Um, the the city is nearly a hundred billion dollars in debt. Uh, what would a sustained inflationary period mean for the city's fiscal situation? Wouldn't it make it easier in some ways for the city to pay that debt back?
1: Yeah, that's one argument. of the, po- the You know, There are some positive aspects to inflation, depending on your point of view, although they are largely outweighed by the negative uh, impacts. So one of the positive impacts would be uh, people and uh, businesses and governments that owe money where the interest rate is fixed. In other words, it doesn't rise with inflation. So if you have a mortgage, most likely the rate is fixed. Uh, You can pay back that mortgage in cheaper dollars, which is probably good for you as a person. Same thing with the the city governments. The The majority of the money that the city owes has a fixed rate of interest. And so as the dollar becomes worth less Uh, The city can pay that back in cheaper dollars. But that's assuming that the city doesn't want to borrow any new money. The city has massive future borrowing needs. It wants to borrow $10 billion to build four new jails to close Rikers Island. It has normal ongoing borrowing needs just to refurbish school buildings, uh, maintain roads, maintain bridges. Uh, Most city borrowing is not for glamorous big projects. It's just for long-term infrastructure, uh, maintenance, and replacement. So looking forward to future borrowing, the city will have to do that at a higher interest rate to account for inflation, and account for the higher interest rates that the, F- the Federal Reserve is is beginning to put in place to try to tamp down inflation. So either way, uh, you know it, it seems a reasonable risk that the decades and decades of cheap borrowing that the city has gotten used to may be over.
0: The the post pandemic geographic reshuffle that's going beyond you know going on across the country it's it's been a big story. many people decided they'd had enough of urban living during the pandemic and they left cities like New York uh, for often suburban locales, more spacious areas, certainly cheaper areas uh, could what's if anything, what's the influence of inflation on that uh, phenomenon that's that's been ongoing for some time now? rent- uh, you know rents in the city are are i believe back to where they were pre pandemic for example,
1: yeah, you know that's an issue if you if you're in a market rate rental building, the property owners just had a winter of enormous increases in heating costs uh Uh, other, uh, costs of running the buildings, wage costs for the people who work in the buildings are going up. We saw the union, uh, the private sector union that represents the building workers and unionized buildings nearly went out on strike, but they reached an agreement with the building, uh, owners, but you know, the, the people who work in the buildings, whether superintendent or security guards, they also want to see their wages going up to account for the cost of inflation. So the property owners, uh, you know they they pass this on to their tenants in the cases where they can. In the rent regulated sector, which is about a million apartments in the city, about a third of the housing stock, the property owners can't pass those costs down to the tenants. This this a city board under state law decides what the rent increase will be, and they haven't uh, decided this year yet. But either way, uh, it's not a great situation. If they allow for a rent increase, then those tenants will also pay uh, the higher costs of inflation. If they don't, then the property owners will have to absorb that cost and they won't have as many resources to maintain the building. So another example of how there's really no free lunch with inflation. Uh, Somebody is, is going to suffer. And as for getting people back into the city or getting new people into the city. I think the city, the main chance of getting people to recommit to urban life is just to improve the quality of life for urban residents. Harder to do that in high inflationary envi- environments, uh, particularly if you have labor strikes and, and work slowdowns and so forth.
0: Sure. Yeah. The um, well, well, that's... That, that's a good transition to um, an, another topic, which is public transit. Uh, you've been sounding the alarm about subway safety for a while now in, in City Journal. Uh, a few weeks ago, as, as most of our listeners probably know, uh, a man opened fire on a subway train in New York, in Brooklyn, Sunset Park neighborhood, and on the platform. On the very same day that you had had an event scheduled, uh, with a top MTA official to discuss transit crime, so that event was subsequently cancelled uh, or postponed. I think it's fair to say that events have vindicated, though, your your ongoing worries about what's been happening. Um, so, so you know, just just what what has been going on over the last couple of years, and just maybe summarize that.
1: Uh, Yeah, and we are uh, holding the event on May 10th if any of the listeners want to go to the uh, website and and sign up for the virtual event. But yes, uh, subway crime, uh, even beyond the terror attack, which hopefully is a one-off strange event that uh, won't be repeated anytime soon. Uh, But day-to-day violent crime on the subways has gone up tremendously since uh, the COVID shutdowns uh, began in March of 2020. So in an average year since 1997, we would have one or two murders on the subways every year. With ridership close to two billion people, you would have had a really difficult time eliminating all murders. One or two a year, unfortunate, but that was probably about as low as we were going to go. Uh, And that was a a massive turnaround from the 1970s through 1990. 1990, we had 26 murders on the subway. That was the year that Bill Bratton came in from Boston, uh, started to institute the policies that George Kelling had pushed for many years saying stop small crimes in the subway and you'll stop big crimes. And sure enough, when they started to, uh, apprehend people for jumping over the turnstiles, sleeping, uh, on subway, uh, uh, benches, which is against the rules, walking between cars, they would catch people with guns, knives, uh, open warrants. You catch people with warrants for murders, uh, Uh, all sorts of things. So uh, by uh, securing the subway system from small crimes, they actually prevented a lot of larger crimes, including homicide. Uh, And we've seen the reversal of this over the past two and a half years, where since March of 2020, we've seen 17 murders on the subway uh, system. Uh, That's over the course of just a little bit more than two years. So the risk of Uh, becoming a victim to uh, homicide is much, much higher than it was in 2019, especially once you account for the lower ridership as well. I mean, ridership is only 60% of normal. Uh, Although murder is still relatively rare, it is much less rare than it was three years ago. And that is also the case with robberies, assaults, uh, other violent felonies. uh, If you are Uh, taking the subways right now, particularly in the off hours. If you are a worker who uh, works at the airport or works an overnight shift, uh, you are much more vulnerable to the threat of violent crime and also just plain disorder. I mean, people are smoking marijuana on the trains. They're playing loud music, uh, sleeping across benches. And, And that is largely because of a pullback in policing. In one month in 2020, there was only one arrest on the subway system for for fare beating. Uh, Enforcement of low-level subway crimes is still about 30% below what it was uh, before the pandemic. So you have two things going on, a pullback in law law enforcement and fewer people on the subways to deter uh, violent crime. So that's, you know, unfortunately, so far, Adams's rhetoric is not matching the results. Hopefully, that will change soon.
0: Thanks very much, Nicole. It's an excellent overview. Uh, don't forget to check out Nicole Jelinez's work. It's on the City Journal website, www.city journal.org. Uh, she has, again, an absolutely uh, brilliant new essay, Inflation in the City, um, in, in our brand new issue. We'll link to our author page in the description. You can also find City Journal on Twitter at City Journal and on Instagram at City Journal underscore M-I. And as usual, if you like what you've heard on today's podcast, please give us a five star ratings on iTunes. So thanks very much, Nicole. Great to talk with you as always.
1: Thank you, Brian. Likewise.